Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Winsor, author of Tender, The Imperfect Art of Caring. We are currently between series of the podcast, but I wanted to share a very special conversation with you for Carers Week. Marina Benjamin is the author of many books. Her latest is A Little Give, The Unsung, Unseen, Undone Work of Women. It explores the conflict and paradoxes of unpaid work, of feeding, cleaning, and caring. Caro Giles is the author of Twelve Moons, A Year Under a Shared Sky, a memoir about motherhood, womanhood, and the landscape that surrounds her. This is a slightly different structured conversation than usual. All three of us are carers. Marina supports her elderly mother. Caro is a single parent to four daughters, two of whom have complex needs. And I'm a parent carer to my 13-year-old son, Arthur, who's autistic and has complex needs too. I am also a former young carer. We talk about the paradoxes of caring, why we were all drawn to write about the topic, and also our failings as feminists. This was such a stimulating and interesting conversation. I'm so grateful to Caro and Marina for being so open about this really difficult topic. A Little Give, Twelve Moons and Tender are all out now and I'll put a link in the show notes to those. I'll be back in the autumn with a new series. Uh, In the meantime, I've got my head down writing. Uh, Enjoy the episode. Welcome, Cara and Marina. Thank you both for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I thought we'd do something slightly different today, um, having a few of us on talking about the topic of caring and being writers who are also carers, and as well as writing about caring. Um, I guess I wanted to kick off by um, asking you both um, why you think caring is difficult to talk about and also write about, um, or maybe you don't think it's difficult to talk or write about. Marina, do you want to start? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I can't think of a more unsexy subject, actually. It's the sort of, maybe, let me show you my holiday snaps might be just about as unsexy as let me tell you about my day caring for my mother. Um, you know, it it just doesn't feel like the kind of subject that you want to kind of have an exchange about, um, because it feels like an offloading. And um, so the carer, I think, always feels like they have to swallow down that caring work so they do it it's invisible it's unpaid and then they can't talk about it either so it kind of really appealed to me the idea that of, of trying to write about the most mundane aspects and by that I didn't necessarily mean you know um toilet duties that kind of thing where you often see you pick up a book about care and and you often see you know washing and toilet duties as as the kind of you know the the headline event of of the caring but for me it wasn't really it wasn't so much about that although of course unwanted intimacy is part of it but for me there was so much more it felt to write about you know the exchange between two people who ostensibly love each other where um you know one person is the recipient of care and the other is the carer and it's it feels like a one-way traffic and both people are resentful and nobody comes off well. And, you know, um, it, it was really that kind of um, those unpleasant, unspoken exchanges between the carer and the and the cared-for person that I really wanted to kind of pick apart and write about. So it felt like a challenge, really. Yeah. And Carrie, do you feel 
similar do you feel that you wanted to include the experience because well maybe partly because you were life writing and you almost couldn't separate it from your life perhaps yeah I think I mean like Marina I I feel like the hidden aspect of caring was something that I I really wanted to explore but also it made it um, I, I was surprised by how hard it was to write about my experience as a carer because I know there are so many thousands and probably millions of us, um, but but nobody does really talk about it. And part of the problem, I think, for me um, as a parent carer is that um, lots of people might not be carers until they're a bit older. Maybe they might be more likely to care for, for aging parents or aging relatives. And so although there are very many parent carers, I often feel very isolated because lots of people aren't parent carers as yeah. well. Lots of people are, are just parents. Um, and also from the point of view of parent caring, I think there's a little bit of misunderstanding or can be around that term because everybody thinks that parents are carers because we care for our children. That's our job. Um, but it's the above and beyondness of um, being a parent carer that is sometimes hard to articulate and also difficult for people to understand, I think. Yeah. And that difficulty in articulating is where the real challenge lies, doesn't it? Because that gap, the unseen bit that people don't understand, and it's the same with all kinds of unpaid care. I'm sure you experienced this, Marina. And in fact, I know you did because you, <laughs> this part in your book where you wrote, your, even your mum said to me, what do you even do? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the thing that's a huge challenge, isn't it? It's um, trying to articulate something that's almost impossible. Um, you know, I think I've probably just today done an extra hour and a half stuff just and this is just and actually my son isn't even in the house <laughs> um of all these little bits and it's it's all these little tiny bits and the tiny ways you live and the hypervigilance and all these things that you can't almost necessarily explain to someone who hasn't been through it although obviously all three of us are attempting to explain it in our writing um one thing that i found really difficult about it is because it's a relationship right it's a relationship as well as unpaid work and I think that's one of the things I found difficult about it's like how much can you say and how much do you not say did you found did you find both find those decisions difficult to make on the page as well um I found it absolutely difficult and the only way that I allowed my mother to come off so badly on the page was that if I could come off as badly as her Mm. so uh, you know, my bitterness, my resentment, um, my longing to have a life away from my impatience with her, you know, all of that had to be on the page if I was going to put her selfishness on the page. Because when your world becomes so small and you, you know, your social life is all is has gone and you are reducing all your needs if you're pinning them all on this one person. That's, you know, and in my mother's case, that's that one person is me, plus I manage her life, you know, uh, her health, her finances, her her dealings with people. Um, then, you know, then then there is a kind of a meanness and smallness to that world um, that I really wanted to write about, but also found very difficult to write about. And I gave myself permission to do it by making myself uh, also come off, um, you know, as somebody who was conflicted let's say, and that's the nicest possible word to, to use uh, about the care that I offered. Yeah, I really, I, I felt that you were um, both bold and sensitive in the way that you approached that. And I completely recognised that that conflict. That was the word I was going to use between um, 
I I just feel such intense love for my four children, but also um, intense anger and frustration, not necessarily at them, um, at the situation. And and it was and I I really wrestled with how to put that onto the page in a way that was palatable but truthful and and ugly as well. I I didn't want it to be kind of a pastel version of, of life. I wanted to say like these are the ugly feelings around caring. This is the reality. But um it was a it was a big job. It was a big um big part of the editing process for me was to, you know, make sure I'd got the tone right on that. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think it's the thing I most wanted to get in my book is that honest side of how I think it's really easy to maybe for other people to look at me on the outside and be like, oh yeah, look at how she copes with all this stuff. And actually, you know, they don't see actually the reality of the day to day. And in fact, I was just having a conversation on another podcast and someone's like, oh yeah, because if if you had all the support you needed, it would be fine, right? And I'm like, no, no, some of it's not fine. Some of it actually is just really hard, you know, hard for my son and hard for me. And I think that's actually a truth that we don't always want to hear. Um, obviously all the right supports and things are essential and make our lives so much better, it would make my son's life better, it would make my life better to have all the right support in place. But actually some sometimes you're just in an hour that's very, very difficult. And I felt I needed to be honest about that, that it it's nobody's fault. But it's just sometimes looking after another human is intense and extremely scary. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to put what Carol called those ugly feelings on the page, actually, because, you know, you're writing very two-dimensionally or actually writing falsely if you pretend that you're some kind of saintly being, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and there are certainly books out there where it's, you know, there are certainly books out there about caring which say, oh, you know, we just moved our parents into the annex and it was just lovely and we all lived together and it was an extended family and they had a fantastic relationship with the grandchildren. You're thinking, what planet are you on or what planet privilege, you know? Um, Because for most people who care, it just isn't like that. And the ugly feelings about that business of wrestling with yourself, you know, wrestling yourself into being a better human, um, or wrestling with yourself as well into kind of allowing yourself to take time for yourself and time to create and time to be who you are. Because if you don't allow yourself time to be that, then you become that kind of narrow, small, mean person that you don't want to be and that the caring kind of pushes you into that role, into that, you know, shadow person of yourself. Mm. And actually... Sorry, Sorry, no, go ahead. ahead. But actually, though, those ugly feelings, those human feelings, like as a reader, they're the thing, they're the things I want to read because I want to be reassured that I'm not a monster, that I am not uh, falling to pieces, that I, that my response to a highly stressful situation is rational and normal, actually. And so, so it's really important that we do that, isn't it? It's really important that, that, that people are able to say this is the reality because that's how we can connect with others and that's how we can make sense of this situation or all of our situations. It was it was really interesting reading um, about your experience with your your mum, Marina, because I also cared for my mum, but when I was a teenager in very different circumstances. And and it's 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 funny, like I I felt similarly in that um I had to put some some really difficult stuff in there about her. Um 
I sort of felt like, obviously it's easier for me because, you know, she had died when I'm like a long time before I wrote the book, but, um, but I did feel like um, I needed to meet um, that sort of ugliness. Um, and there is some ugliness in there. I think, especially if you're always, if you're talking about a young carer, it is quite ugly to think. I think nobody wants to think that young carers are dealing with what they're dealing with. But, um, but the very first scene in the book that I put in is me losing my shit at my mother because I felt like I needed to. <laughs> I felt like it felt really important that I put myself out there as this is how crap I was <laughs> in the face of these really challenging circumstances. And it felt really good and liberating to talk about how shit I was at, at certain times towards my own mother. Yeah. yeah. I found it quite terrifying to to write about losing my shit actually because um I just feel that I've been conditioned like so like so many mothers to be this um calm um perfect presence which is like obviously nobody is that presence but it it's quite hard to put it on the page actually and to say that you've lost your shit in front of your kids and very hard but Carrie this is why that scene is about me and my mum yeah that was easier to write about than losing it with a child very much yeah. so. I mean, or not even losing it with a child, just losing it with myself, but in front yeah, of the kids. But yeah. in front of the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is, it was easier to to start there <laughs> than it was to start with the challenges. Because even like, you know, this past week has been, we've had a particularly challenging week. And and in some ways, I do, I do sort of think, um, Sometimes when I get really gorgeous messages about the book and about how useful it's been and how, you know, it felt it was so comforting to know someone else was going through it. I do sometimes worry, think people think I've got my shit together more because I've written about caring. And I'm a bit like, no, I wrote about it because I want to understand, I want to explore it, but I don't. It's ugly and it's messy and it's chaotic and all these things. Um, I have learned things along the way um, from these two different experiences. But um, but it's not fixed. You know, writing a book hasn't fixed me to make me really amazing at this thing called caring. <laughs> and part of the challenge is, is um, trying to destroy that stereotype of what of what we think a caring person looks like, mm. uh, traditionally women, and trying to like break that down completely and say, you know, we're not these two-dimensional um, kind of 1950s housewives, you know, with really good hair. We're actually, you know, we're actually, you know, we're multifaceted and we're trying to be other people as well outside of the caring. And um, it's really hard to, to it's really hard to have that voice, I think, because we're yeah. still expected to be hidden away and just getting on and doing a good, quiet job. Well, uh, Marina, you wrote um, this phrase, which I thought was so interesting, this idea of the carer's curse in your book, this idea of like when caring becomes so fundamental to a person, they lose other parts of themselves. Um do you think you were hyper aware that that could potentially happen with you, with your mum? And were you trying to protect against that in a way? I don't think I was particularly aware of it. I went I went into the whole situation really naively, just desperate to prop her up because I could see her failing and I could see also her refusing to make any change herself. So then it became my job to make sure that her world could all be kind of propped up around her so that she could carry on believing that nothing had changed. There's a fantastic East German film that I forget the title of now, something to do with Lenin, where a woman is in a coma 
during the the fall of the of the Berlin Wall and and all her family kind of desperately try they from everything from the furniture yes. to the wall to the what appears on television they they give her a fake world so that when yeah, she wakes up I remember her, that film yeah. yeah yeah I can't remember what it's called but it's so that she believes in the fake world and that it feels like what I've been doing for my mum I've been paddling madly to try and create this fake world in which she's competent and in which she can still cope and she's still in control and she makes decisions but actually none of that is true and I'm the one who's desperately you know calling doctors you know doing her accounts tidying up after her etc um so yeah it does it does really feel like a strange kind of parallel universe you step through this gateway and the world inside the caring sphere is just bananas it's mad in that same way that you know the lenin whatever preserving the bubble of east germany was mad it feels just like that and then i leave her house and i and i and i inhabit myself with this incredible sigh like i come back to myself and think oh thank god i'm out of that place because it's a lunatic asylum and i created it you know so it feels a bit like that that's so interesting and you also mentioned this idea of when you're coming in and sort of hardening yourself and it's funny like I hadn't actually heard anyone talk about that before but that's so what I experienced with my mum when I was a teenager that hardening that had to happen between us because in our in our particular situation a lot of it was because my mum felt so guilty for the way she was that I had to pretend that everything was fine at all times and none of it was affecting me because she got worse if she felt she was putting too much on me. So it's like this sort of, like you're saying, this kind of slightly ridiculous dance that you do where everyone's pretending something is, isn't what it is. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I hadn't actually seen anyone write about that particular aspect before. It was really interesting. Um, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it for quite a long time either, actually, because it does feel a bit different with my, with my child. I'd be interested to know what both of you think of this process because I didn't know going in what I was I had I went in very instinctively wanting to write about this subject but I didn't have the ideas weren't fully formed they really came out of thinking really hard about what goes on and forcing myself to be incredibly honest about it and that's where those ideas came from it came out of that process of thinking and writing about the caring um, and I just wondered if it was the same for you, because um, because in a way, uh, it's a kind of if you're breaking the mold, as Caro put it, the 1950s kind of Caro with perfect hair, <laughs> you're breaking that mold, you're going into a kind of terra incognita. No, people haven't written about this truthfully. And so, you know, you're going in wanting to put on the page things you haven't seen on the page before. I was just thinking um, before I came into this conversation how the more I write about my experience as a parent carer, the more political I feel my writing becomes and the less it becomes about a need to kind of explore my own feelings around it and my own identity around being a carer. And um, because there's only so so much I can I can only write so much about that. I can only write so much about how angry and frustrated and tired I am and all that stuff. And then it goes beyond that to 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 the world outside and you know what how can we affect change through our writing and um yeah, so I see myself as becoming more more political the more the more I kind of interrogate the theme of caring so it was interesting like the reason I 
decided to write about caring. And it was funny. I was really resistant at first. I was really resistant. I think um, I didn't want to, I think there's quite a lot of kind of, I guess, you know, because I'm a parent carer and there's quite a lot of autism parents who've written some things that I, yeah, I don't, that don't really feel, um, I just didn't like basically, shall we say. There was a lot of stuff out there that I didn't really like. And I was very resistant to writing about it first. But really what it was, was, was when I could see my two different experiences and the similarities between them. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is about caring. This is not about being a parent to a disabled child. This is about caring in general and why, why I, you know, I never hear anyone talking about it. Nobody talks about this. Um, and it was partly out of a conversation that came with a, with a close friend whose mother has um, had Alzheimer's and and we realized that actually we had this kind of crazy amount in common with her supporting her mom with Alzheimer's and me with a child with a learning disability and who's autistic um, and and actually we could laugh over so many sort of similar sort of slightly crazy things that happened to us that I realized like why isn't why aren't we having this conversation so for me that was kind of what the drive was this what we have what we all as carers have in common even though we're in quite different situations so that was kind of what drove me initially um, to write about it. And I was really surprised when I started writing about it. People were desperate to hear. They were desperate to hear. And in the same way, because my mum died by suicide, in the same way that because I feel comfortable talking about that, people are, lap it up because like so many people are so afraid of that word and so afraid to talk about that experience that um, anyone who feels able to, people kind of flock to them <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm just so glad to hear those words out loud that nobody in my family will speak. Um, so I think that's probably what drew me to it initially. But um, but it's it's interesting, like this idea of, um, you write about Marina, this idea as well of this um, these kind of um, that the chaos um, and and this idea of um, of accepting um, the inevitability of the chaos of life rather than trying to kind of control it, um, and so it's not necessarily about not wanting to do it, not wanting to be a carer. Um, I think that's what's so interesting about caring. There's this this often this paradox of um, I at the same time don't want to be doing it and also want to be the one doing it um and that's something that I find really interesting about the topic of caring yeah I mean I think I was I was coming at that idea of the chaos of our lives really from the point of view of feeling like I always felt that I was failing as a feminist if I couldn't snatch that time for myself in which I could kind of you know do meaningful work um or or I don't want to use the word self-actualization because it's so kind of loaded with that idea of self-improvement. And I don't want to mean that at all. But I mean, just that idea of being a, a forthright person in the world, a woman in the world, doing kind of feminist stuff. And I felt like all those other duties of womanhood, all that gendered culture and enculturation, all the kind of housework that I did, all the support work that I did, compromise that. And um, and so that then when I stepped out as a feminist, I felt like I was that that was my false consciousness. That wasn't my true self. And who was I? How could I possibly call myself a feminist when I did all this other stuff that was so it seemed to me not feminist? So it was again, it was the personal as political. How do I reconcile my kind of public self, my political self with the reality of my everyday life, which um, you know, felt like I was always kind of arms deep in the kitchen sink. It's what it felt like. Um and you know, or my brain was in a vat of soap bubbles, you know, it just, it felt like I was continually drowning. 
And so I did want to write about, you know, caring was kind of one major element of this kind of, um, you know, what felt like an incredibly well-designed conspiracy to keep women, <laughs> to keep women uh, from realizing that they're, 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 you know, their ambitions in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. And, and I think, and I think um, I, I have become slightly obsessed when I did a master's um, just before I wrote 12 moons and I became a bit obsessed with finding writers who had written the domestic and and trying to kind of explore my own feminism through that lens because because there was no way for me to be any other way other than always in the home and always surrounded by children and always hands in the sink or hanging out washing and I really wanted to find a way to yeah to practice my feminism and to write about that in in that in that state and um yeah that's been that's been quite uh, that was a way for me to to make my life a bit more exciting actually and to intellectualize some of the kind of really mundane stuff I was doing I think and I think it's quite subversive Caro when you write about those aspects of your life you know there's a certain kind of subversive thrill that comes from you know talking about these things that nobody thinks is worth mentioning and tying it up into a kind of a politics of of feminism or a dark side of feminism or the things we're not allowed to say as feminists, I found it quite kind of um, exciting to do that. Really, yeah, yeah, slightly thrilling. I know what you mean. Yeah. Mm. Um, and let's talk about those kind of um, competing needs then for a second, because care, like caring has to happen. Right. I mean, um, you know, we're all in situations where like if we're not doing it, probably no one is going to, which obviously we don't want the people we support to suffer massively. So on the one hand, where I, I can be very fierce about keeping tiny bits of time for myself, tiny things that are all to me. Um, quite obsessed with listening to audiobooks, for instance. I do a lot of audiobook listening when I'm doing domestic work, if I even if I can't leave the house. Um, and I'm quite obsessed with like carving out these little bits of time. But ultimately, when uh, the person we support's needs are what they are, we have to kind of drop what we're doing and that they'll always be this push and pull. Um, and I sort of feel like in a way, part of of where I'm better now maybe is just this idea of accepting that that's sometimes what happens. And I know I feel better when I can accept that I do what I can to carve out my space. But um, there are times where everything is just dropped and that's just life, but it won't be dropped forever. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that feeling, that push and pull that you get. Um, I don't know if I am quite in that place yet. I feel, I think I feel like really out of sorts. if I'm not able to, if I haven't been creative or done something for myself and, and I'm don't think I am, I don't think I'm yet very accepting of not being able to carve. I think I'm not kind to myself. I think I expect a lot of myself and as part of my own kind of journey of well-being, I really need to write or to sing or to play the piano or, or do creative things. And I, and the reality is that I can't always do that. And that, that is annoying to me and it's disappointing to me and it doesn't make me feel good. So um, that's something I'm still wrestling with, but I really love to celebrate it when I've got my shit together. Like this week I've written every morning and I've done thousands of words and I'm really happy, but that hasn't happened for a really long time and it might not happen again for a long time. So yeah, I think, I think I struggle with that quite a lot. I should clarify 
I don't always accept it. I have more moments of acceptance now than I used to. That's probably a better way of putting it. I definitely still have moments where I feel incredibly resentful. Um, it's usually when something happens very last minute. I had an incident last week. Mm. I was supposed to go to the, a book launch of an, of an author who's been incredibly supportive to me. And I wanted to be there in person to support her in return. And it felt really important thing that I wanted to do. And at the last minute, I couldn't go because my son could not cope with being left with the paid carer. And he just it just wasn't going to happen. It just became clear very quickly that it just wasn't going to happen. I had to cancel at the last minute. And I was very resentful for a couple of hours. <laughs> I, I did eventually get over it. But yeah, so I, don't, I definitely don't want to create any kind of illusion that I'm always accepting because I definitely struggle with it still sometimes. I think what can make it easier is when people are understanding so when like so working in a let be quite truthful working in the publishing industry as a as a full-time single parent carer in the northeast of england is hard because already living in the northeast of england it's really hard to do lots of things everything's in london and also everybody thinks you can go to things in person and you can't so that kind of lack of awareness of of, of people's needs doesn't help with the frustration and the annoyance I have to say um, but I know it's the same in lots of industries and I also know there are loads of people inside the publishing industry working hard to make everything more inclusive and talking about it so I feel like we're moving in the right direction but yeah there's still a way to go hey Marina have you um, got to a place where you feel like you know what that boundary is of like what you're what you when you need to kind of stop and be like no this is what I need um well as you're both I I really echo and empathize with what you've both said you know I see that boundary it's it's clearly in my sights now and I think that self-acceptance is a really worthy goal and I go on about it in the book I don't always reach it because I feel so torn and because all my time that's spent writing is effectively stolen time and it's stolen from my periods of from my rest time. Mm. So the time that I should be resting from all the care work, I'm writing. So I can only do it in spurts and I can only do it when I know in very concentrated spurts when I know it's going to end or I'll just collapse. So um, it feels like my freedom is bought at a very high price. That's what it feels like. And I think that's where caring takes us. And I think that caring makes us um, vulnerable in all kinds of ways. And feminism doesn't necessarily encourage us to accept our vulnerability, or traditionally it hasn't, Mm. because it's so busy with self-actualization and projection and striding forth and leaning in and all those words that you see in kind of corporate feminism. And, you know, I, I wanted to see... I think Kara mentioned the word kindness. I I want to see more kindness in feminism. I want to, you know, suggest that women are kinder to themselves and maybe even start articulating a kind of politics of kindness Mm. where, you know, feminism must be less judgmental and more capacious and more willing to accept and articulate women's vulnerability because it's structural. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so interesting, isn't it? The the way you articulate that really resonates. I do often feel like I'm stealing time from rest and I get actually filled with rage when I get told to rest more because I know what people mean is at the expense 
of anything for you because they don't mean don't look after your child. They mean give exactly. up work, give up paid work, you know, which would put me into poverty and I wouldn't be able to pay into a pension. So it would put me into a really long-term poverty if I gave up, gave up work. And so for me, I feel like that's the price people are asking me to pay. And so for writing for me, um, because I largely have given up my photography work, which is what I did for many, many years because of how challenging it is. I do a little bit, but it's it's so challenging to do stuff outside the house. So writing for me, it does feel incredibly rebellious in lots of ways. And in some ways that makes me feel good because I feel like I'm um I'm feeling like I'm doing something that nobody wants me to do <laughs> in a in a funny kind of way. Do you ever worry about the cost of living life at 100 miles an hour? Because that that's what I worry about. I worry that when I get up at um, half past five or whatever, six o'clock to write before a full day of full-time caring with children who can't attend school. And like, I'm so tired now. And I, f- I feel like a little bit ill. I'm so tired, but I, I have to work tonight. I'm teaching singing tonight. And but sometimes I think, what will happen to me? Like, it's it's not good to be, it's not good to do this much. But then I think, but who will I be if I don't work? And how will I pay for anything as well? So it feels like a massive trade-off of my own health against the health of my family, you know? Yeah, it does feel Absolutely. like that. Mm. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if there is an answer, is there? I do sometimes worry, you know, because of course, all the statistics about stress and how bad stress is for our long-term health. And I'm like, oh, there's actually not a lot I can do about that. That's slightly outside of my control. The kind of stress that that you live with as a carer, a lot of it is chronic outside of your control. That mm. chronic background hypervigilance that um, that those of us are supporting someone who, um, you know, we worry about their safety and their um, and also co- constantly um, emotionally regulating them, um, which you know takes a huge amount of energy. Um, I do sometimes worry about what the long-term effects is, but what's interesting is that if I think about, okay, well, well, how would I do less? Yeah, it's definitely not the writing that I want to do less of because somehow that feeds me in a different kind of way that helps address the stress, even though it doesn't help address the energy levels necessarily. I, it doesn't help me kind of become less tired, but it does somehow regulate me in a way that does reduce my stress a bit. I mean, reading actually is the thing I always am turning to to feed myself in a way that feels like it's like it's sort of targeting some kind of stress inside me <laughs> that actually yeah like it's it's a counter counteractive um, measure almost like medication somehow I see it as yeah no I think I I, I can hear I definitely empathize with that reading as a kind of medication and a feeding a nurturing I think mm-hmm. I often I always talk about I'm feeding myself with books because it feels as though that's the way I can recharge my my batteries, um, and because because that's my understanding really of self care is to kind of get myself back up to speed by putting good thoughts or interesting thoughts in my head that I can chew over while I'm doing the mundane stuff. You know, mm. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you, um, Marina, do you when you're doing, say, let's you know, real kind of, I guess, drudge work, you know, so to speak. Um, either for your your in your own home or in your mother's home, um, do you is that a time where writing occurs in your head and processing and things that that when you go actually when you do get time to sit down to write, 
has some of that work happened while you've been doing manual work? No, I don't. I find it very depleting. I don't find it. I, I mean, I think I said this in the book. I know, you know, I know there are women who will say, oh, it's quite, get quite zen about housework. And I can, you know, for me, it doesn't work that way. For me, I'm kind of hyper obsessively focused on whatever the drudge work is. Mm. Um, I'm not very good at rising above it. I can absent myself, but uh, only into a kind of vague void of, you know, nothingness. I mean, for me, that you know, I need to be out in fresh air walking and in motion and that sort of free sense of freedom to have thoughts percolating or to be kind of, you know, engaged with a book and having a dialogue with the book that I'm reading. But I find that drudge work just depleting because it calls for a responsiveness as well. You're responding to things as well as to people, you know, you're just... Yeah. And there's and there's that hundred miles an hour brain of all the things you're processing that you don't even want in your head, you know, like when do the sheets need changing? What's in the fridge? Who do I need to call? What you know? Where do I need to be? What appointments are on my list? Who needs to go where? All that stuff. That's kind of that constant low level stress. I find that very inimical to having any kind of productive thought. Mm. What about you, Karen? Um, I think. Um, life writing lends itself to my existence um, because I can't really remove myself from the kind of domesticity that I'm entrenched in and all of the hardcore caring. Um, so for now, um, a lot of my thinking happens when I'm doing other things, which potentially means I'm a bit distracted um, but really, it keeps me sane, I think, as well. I wonder how I would I wonder how I would write something that wasn't what directly what I'm experiencing at the moment. I think I'd find that a bit hard because the care require my, that my children require is is very high at the moment. Mm. Um, and so I kind of need to be need to be writing what I'm experiencing and finding a way to create around that. so that works for me. Um, but I haven't got the space to explore anything else at the moment. So who knows in the future if my life looked a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah how that would look for me. What about you? Yeah. I, it's interesting because I just wrote a novel and I really loved being in that world. And it was, and it, it's sort of out of my hands now. Um, and since it's been officially out of my hands, um, I can't stop thinking about the next one. And it's, it's, it's really, funny I think it's almost like oh I think my brain wants that my brain wants to have a whole nother world all the time going on and that somehow um helps me with the washing and the, and the, the constant you know the, the sort of the kind of stuff I need to do with my sons like going on bus rides and going to a park and doing this really repetitive routine rigid things that I need to do with him and he needs my presence a lot but sometimes I can let my mind wander and somehow yeah so it's almost like I, I'm kind of craving that because as soon as that novel left me I couldn't stop thinking about this next idea so that's been um that's been really interesting I can sort of see that 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 might keep me sane in a funny kind of way but the other thing I do is I do turn to audiobooks quite a lot and I think for this reason sometimes I just need to get a bit out of my head and out of my own life and into somebody else's um and and it's sort of yeah it just it keeps me somehow having a I guess an intellectual and emotional life that isn't to do with caring which also feels good yeah that's interesting 
I th- I th- I'm a I'm a really um, emotional person, and my emotions are always very close to the surface. And I think um, I think I need to find a way to channel them. And I always have worked creatively, not always as a writer, um, as an actor, and as a musician before I wrote. But I think. Um, it's almost like there's a like I have a real desire to be able to channel those very strong feelings into something Um, and at the moment yeah like I was saying I think I am becoming more political in in what I write and and, you know needing to affect change something is coming something is being born of the frustration that I feel and that feels helpful at the moment I think yeah it's interesting actually I, I I didn't didn't even necessarily do it very deliberately but of course as soon as I'd done it I realized and I knew it was never going to be any other way but there is there is a carer in my novel I couldn't like somehow not it's not a major part it's not what the story's about or anything like that but I couldn't it's somehow it just slipped in there and it's like I couldn't I couldn't not somehow (laughs) I wonder if another one will somehow slip in and it's like a side character or something in the next one who knows we'll see I think I think there's something as well about creativity arising out of the friction, you know, mm. and that that's not a bad place to be necessarily. So you don't have to kind of run away from your responsibilities to find creative freedom. You can find that that friction in your life because your life is already full of it. So it's about just kind of trying to harness it a little bit and uh, and maybe write into it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really true. I think it's really true. I think sometimes um, we can all imagine that if we had the perfect circumstances, we'd all be cracking on and producing huge amounts of really fabulous, you know, incredible magnum opus. But actually, probably that's not true at all. <laughs> we probably all have writer's block. Yeah. But, you know, you, you know, you need that that constraint on your time, that constraint on your psyche, that constant pressure to push against. I think that's part of it, really. Yeah. And I think if I didn't have such massive caring responsibilities, I'm not sure I ever would have come to writing because like I'm an extrovert and I love creating with other people actually, but having so little space like that, something has come from that claustrophobia and also just the practicality of not being able to leave the house. Um, This has been the only way I've been able to channel my creativity. So, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for that because it's kind of, it's a challenge and it's um you know it's an experience that I'm interested to be part of I wonder if that's why a lot of books are written by women in some ways you know like in terms of as a creative outlet um you know a lot of novels are written by women and have over time been written by and read by women but I wonder if that is in a way part of it you know like the the barrier to entry in a way for writing is 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 lower than a lot of other art forms in terms of what you require in terms of equipment things like that even though the barrier to entry in terms of publishing is can be very difficult but in terms of actually writing um it's quite low compared to say you know having to own a cello or um (laughs) or or a guitar or having to have you know lots of paints and you know um pottery equipment or things like that that's really that's a really interesting insight i'm sure you're right I mean, if you look at kind of, you know, writing courses, I, I, I teach courses, at, you know, quite a lot of residential writing courses. I'd say, you know, 80% of the people who attend those are female, mm. you know, and seriously dedicated as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you both so much for being here. So 
Um, Marina Benjamin, your latest book, A Little Give, is out now. And Caro, your book, 12 Moons, is also out now. Um, if anyone wants to read more about caring as well, uh, Tender, the book that I wrote, is out as well. Um, mm. It's been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for, for um, coming and chatting with me. Thank, Thank you. It's been Thanks. great, actually. <laughs> Thank you.